thank God for my home, and I thank God for my shoes, and I thank God for the food that is on my table. But we worship God because we were dead in the trespasses of our sins. And the wages of sin is death. And so at my birth, I was born condemned. The psalmist said, I was shapen in sin. And in iniquity did my mother bring me forth. And so at my birth, I was already sentenced to condemnation and hell. But God in his great love, but God in his great love, the love that he loved us with, he came, he took on human flesh, and he paid the penalty of my sin. And in his perfection, pain, the price of a sinner, we have eternal life in Christ Jesus. And that's why we're able to say the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So we're here today and we do this thing we call church and we get to be volunteers and we get to say TDP, not, not, not because of any of what we've done. But it's laid on the foundation that I was dead in the trespasses of my sins. But in great love, the Father loved us and he rescued and he saved his creation. A creation that was lost in sin, lost in their own decision. Humanity thought for themselves to choose wisdoms for themselves and we made ourselves God. This is the history of humanity. And only God could save. Man has proven that he cannot save himself, even if he believed he had the power to. He not only failed God's standard, he failed his own standard. And so every human is in need of salvation. And so every day that we wake up, we still wake up in that need. I woke up today in that need. We all woke up in that need. And so there's, this is why repentance is a gift. Repentance is what opens the door for me to step into my salvation, but it's my repentance daily that keeps me on the straight and narrow path. It's understanding, it's understanding that I'm not just rejoicing because I get to do this thing called church. But I'm a Christian, and what it means to be a Christian is to have a new humanity in Jesus Christ. And so I'm just so excited for the journey that we are on as a church, as we are exploring this theme of what does it mean when I say that I'm a Christian? More importantly, what does it mean when I say I'm a Christian? What did God intend for me as I am a Christian? And every time I get up here under this theme, and we've had some breaks in between, right? Like we've, we've been, but we've been a total of seven weeks already speaking about this new humanity that we have in Jesus. And every time when I start, I get excited. I want to preach week one, and I want to go back to justification. And then from there, let's go into sanctification. And can we get an extra week on regeneration? I get excited. I just want to preach the messages all over again as we start. And then the past two weeks, we were on glorification. You guys are some smart Christians already. Because justification, no one talks about that anymore. 
We don't even know that justification means to be declared righteous in the sight of God. That's powerful. That's so powerful. To know that when I said yes to Christ Jesus, I was declared righteous in the sight of God. And we've been speaking about how powerful is a word of God when it is spoken over your life. And so what does justification do? It calls me onto sanctification. And what is sanctification? It's the process of becoming righteous. Justification declares me righteous, but it has power in its declaration that it, that it, that it prompts me onto sanctification. And so you can't, we can't be Christians that live as if we were still dead in the trespass of sin. What does it mean that God set me free from the curse of sin and death? Only that now that I am free unto righteousness, bound in sin, but being set free unto righteousness. And so we are a church that we believe in the sanctification of God's people. As a Christian, I, 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 I am being sanctified. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, and this is the will of God, even your, our sanctification. And I've said this throughout these weeks. If you have no, what is God's will for me? I need someone to come and discern that over my life. Stop it already. The will of God is even now our sanctification. Sanctification is a calling in itself. It's a life journey. It's a daily pursuit. And there's power in a life that is being transformed through sanctification. Let me tell you, your sanctification will preach louder and better than many of the sermons that we're hearing these days. A life that is being renewed in the spirit of the mind and is producing fruit manifested in our life. That's a good message to preach. Let us preach our sanctification. And then, my goodness... We have no fear in death. We have no fear in death. We have no fear as things get more and more chaotic in our world. We're not afraid of death. A Christian should not fear death. Why? Because there is a hope of resurrection. A hope of resurrection. And any hope in Christ is more than hope. It's a promise. So there's actually a promise of resurrection onto glorification. And what is glorification? It's life after death in complete righteousness. And that is where we will see the fulfillment of what Christ did at the beginning of our salvation, where we were justified, declared righteous in the sight of God, and then after death, we'll be glorified in that righteousness. And this is why there is no more death and there is no more pain. The reason why there is no more death and the reason why there is no pain in the afterlife in Christ is because sin has been done away with. And the word of God tells us this, that God will make the heavens and the earth new and bring them into unification. And there we will exist in eternity with Christ Jesus. What profound, deep truths. All of these were hidden in Christ and then revealed by his resurrection. And remember, the gospel message isn't just the cross. It's the cross, it's the tomb, and it's the resurrection. It's the, it's the full message that we have to embrace. And so in that, all these amazing revelations 
revealed through Christ Jesus. All of these passages of scriptures of the Old Testament's coming into fulfillment through Christ Jesus. My goodness, what do you do with all of that? I think we should ask that question. What do I do with all of this mystery revealed in Christ Jesus? What does one do when they gain such wisdom? What does someone do when they gain such insight? What does someone do when they feel they have unlocked it? <laughs> this is a question that I want us to kind of explore as we go deeper into this Christian series. Let us open up to first, um, I'm sorry, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Theme scripture for the series. This should be on the screen for you. 2 Corinthians 5.17. This is the foundation this is the foundation of our series, Christian, a new humanity. Second Corinthians 5.17 reads this. Ready? Therefore, if anyone is what? In who? In Christ. Not in self, not in the world. Therefore, if anyone is where? In Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. One more time. Therefore, if anyone is where? In Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All things have become new. Scripture is telling us all things have become new. It's not telling you that we get new things. It's saying all things have become new. And now let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. How many of you have read the book of Ephesians before? I'm going to share some personal <laughs> testimonies about this book as I read this as a teenager. But for now, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. The book of Ephesians only has six chapters. And I actually want to encourage you. I want to start out by beginning this sermon with some homework. I want to encourage you, Christian, believer, to read Ephesians this week. The six chapters. You could probably read that in 15, 20 minutes. I'm going to tell you not to, but you can just read it because I'm going to ask you to just meditate on it. And let's just read this passage of scripture and I'll begin with an introduction about my experience with the book of Ephesians. But look at this, Ephesians chapter 1 verses 10, uh, 1 through 10. I'm going to actually read from the New American Standard Bible. The one on the screen is the ASB, but you guys will be able to follow along. Most of the verses are almost identical, but look at verse 1. Therefore, look at this, be imitators of God. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> be imitators of who? Of God. Can you imagine what that implies? Be imitators of God as beloved children. Right? You're claiming sonship. You're claiming to be a man of God, a woman of God, a daughter of the king, right? We got our t-shirts, right? Prince of the king, whatever. 
So therefore be imitators of that God. Look at this. And walk in love. Look at the instruction. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Verse 2. But sexual immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be mentioned among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness or foolish talk or vulgar joking, which are not fitting, but rather giving of things. Huh? Huh? Imitators of God, right? He starts out with a call to imitate God. And he contrasts that with an imitation of the world. The imitation, the, the world is full of sexual immorality. The world is full of impurity and greed and, 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 and filthiness of talk and foolish talk, vulgar joking. He says, these are not fitting, rather giving of thanks. And so this is why when we come to the house of God, we're unashamed in our worship and our praise. We're giving thanks. He goes, for this you know with certainty that no sexual, immoral, or impure, or greedy, some translation might say covetous, person, and this, this right now is going to remind us of Bible study, which amounts to an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Did we read that? The sexually immoral, the impure, the greedy which amounts, which culminates to an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Verse 6, see that no one deceives you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. See, as a child of God, we have to be sons and daughters of obedience. But the wrath of God comes upon the sons and the daughters of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. I love this verse. For you once were dark darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. This verse doesn't say you once were in darkness, you once were lost in the chaos, and you once were a victim in the darkness. No, it says you once were the darkness. I was the darkness, not just a victim, not just, I can't just blame my, 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 my uh, I can't just blame my former, my former state on what someone else did to me and what the world and, and what was happening in the world around me. No, I have to take responsibility that yes, I was in a dark world and that dark world did inflict things on me, but I too was the darkness and I was doing some inflicting, I was doing some stuff on some other people too. So we take ownership, we take responsibility to say we once were darkness, but Look at the great, the great truth in Christ Jesus. Look what's hidden in Christ Jesus. That now when I am in him as a new creation, I'm no longer darkness, but I am light. But that too there is responsibility. I don't just get to say, oh, I go to church, I get to step in the light. I don't just get to be in the light of his presence. I don't just have the responsibility to be in the proximity of your light and how God is working through you. I have responsibility to be light. 
I have a responsibility. I take ownership that I was darkness, but now I take responsibility that I am light. So being a Christian is all about responsibility and all about accountability. It's not just about what happens here on a Sunday from 10 to 12 or what happens on an encounter night and what happens in a Bible study. That's part of the totality of the Christian life. And so we said this last week. I'm not a Christian because I go to church. I go to church because I am a Christian at my foundation. And because I'm a Christian, then fellowship, and, and I'm not going to forsake the gathering, and I'm not, not going to also cut myself off of the edification that I receive through you, how God is working in you. For you once were darkness, but now you are light. Look in the Lord, and look, walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So it takes it from, oh, just be in the light, right? This, oh, awesome, I like how that sounds. Children of the light, here we go. New, new church merch, children of the light. But don't wear the church merch, children of the light, if you are sons and daughters of disobedience. That's what God is saying. No, don't wear the t-shirt. Don't wear the t-shirt if it's not really happening in your heart. There's this jacket that I really want for my birthday, and it says dreamer, and it has verses from Genesis about Joseph. And, and I'm like, man, I really want that shirt because I call myself a, a visionary and I had a dream and a vision from God. And that's why we're here today. And at the same time that I say, I want this shirt to remind me that, 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 that my life right now is, is, is in motion because of a vision that God personally revealed to me. And, and I want the jacket to remind me of that. It was so crazy. I had a moment where I'm like, I want the jacket that says dreamer. But just yesterday I was doubting the vision. I had a day where I was just like, oh, my God, is this really going to happen? I'm just, I'm, I'm struggling and I'm wavering in my faith and I need Ryan to smack me over the head or I need Daniel to say, stop thinking about that. And so I want the church merch. Hopefully the church merch will help me on the difficult days. Like, look what I'm wearing. But look, the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And so it's not just to say light because light sounds good. It's, it's explaining that what light is, is goodness. So you can't say light but have badness. It says, it says light but then it says righteousness because you can't say light and then live unrighteous. It says light and then it says truth so you can't just be a lie. It says, look, verse 10, as you try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, at the same time, as a Christian is stepping into all these profound mysteries about God in our justification, sanctification, glorification, regeneration, all these mysterious, profound things, wow, look at all of that. As all of that is happening, that is deep and profound, the pursuit of every believer. So let me tell you this, never think that you, don't, don't get too smart on us. Right? I, don't get too smart on God. Oh, I read that. I already know what that means. No, the desire and the pursuit of the Christian, yes, he's pursuing sanctification, but you must also be living, trying to learn what pleases the Lord. 
trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And what I have to tell myself is I haven't learned all of what pleases the Lord. And, and what that does is it keeps me on a daily pursuit because sometimes when you do this long enough or you, you, know, you memorize enough verses and you've been to enough conferences, right? And you said, you already know what this means and that guy's a Christian dummy and I'm a Christian wise one. The danger of that is that you stop pursuing to learn what pleases God. And we also don't want to go to the other extreme that we're a church that knows a bunch of scriptures, but we don't know what pleases God. There's nothing terrible than a preacher who knows a bunch of verses, but he hates everyone he preaches to. I would say that God would not be happy with that. You learned my word and you just hated people more. You, you, you learned more of the scriptures, but now you're nothing more than a Pharisee in today's world. And rather than leading people to me, you like the Pharisees keep people away from me. I never want to be that kind of person. And so then the question is, with all the wisdom, with all the revelation, with all the truth, with all the scriptures that you memorize, with all the conferences and all the notes that you make, whatever it is, with all of that, what do we do with all of that? What do we do with, and we're telling people, you got to study the word of God, you got to get into the word of God, and, 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 I, and I'm all for that. But what do you do with all of that is the question. Because having, look, having all that wisdom, understanding all those revelations, understanding the mysteries of the Bible is very powerful. So what do you do with all that power? All right, the title of the message. And all of them have started, right? A new humanity and then something. So a new humanity, look, love as a way of life. Love as a way of life. Love as a way of life. And I want to start out with this preface. We use the word love loosely. You guys may be seated. <laughs> we use the, love, the word love so loosely in today's world. And let me show you how loosely. And, and, it's, and it's very love, love in our today language is very generic. It's a generic term. Here, I'll prove it to you. I love pizza. And you know what I mean when I say I love pizza, right? Uh, what about if I say, and I love hockey? You understand what I mean? And then I say, I love my wife. And you know what I mean. And then I say, I love God. And you know what I mean. The problem is if the word love is the same in all of those, there's something terribly wrong. I use the same word and you all knew what I meant, but it's terrible if my love for pizza, that word love means the same when I say I love God. So I'm using the same generic word, but surely I can't love God like I love pizza. There would be a problem, right? If I love God like I love pizza. And even though you guys know I love hockey and I love the beautiful first lady looking fly on her birthday, praise the Lord. <laughs> There's a problem if I love the first lady, my wife, who I'm in covenant relationship with till the day I die. If that word love there means the same love as much, it has the same meaning when I say I love hockey. 
And even though those are four different scenarios implying love to all of them, the love can't be the same. And the reason why I bring that up is because when we talk about and when we read the word love in the Bible, I want us to understand that when, when the Bible is speaking about love, it's not speaking of it in the same context of loving pizza and loving basketball or loving your new purse or loving your new sneakers or loving the new house. Yes, I believe we all should love those things. But there's a difference in the language used when we're talking about love in the Bible. I don't want you to read that when it says, oh, to, you know, as God loved you, don't equate that to how you love pizza. And say, okay, I think I get what that means. No, it's, 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 not, it's not implying the same type of love. And so I just want to begin with my journey on the book of Ephesians. Read it. Six chapters. So amazing. My mom used to have us read the Bible when we were kids. You guys know this story. I'm reading Revelation 19 as a bedtime story. Horrible nightmares. <laughs> Horrible. I'm seeing king's head come off. I'm seeing guys come in horse and dragons everywhere. Bottomless pits opening up. Antichrist, beast. I'm seeing 666 all over the place. Crazy, crazy stories to read as a child. But nonetheless, I read them. And so I remember as a teenager opening up the book of Ephesians and trying to read it. And I remember reading the book of Ephesians and being like, wow, man, that's deep, deep. As a matter of fact, if you look at the book of Ephesians, it's six chapters. The first three are deep, profound. I'm like, yo. But, but we all know this truth, too. We'll look at something and say, man, that was deep. And don't understand the depth of what we just read, right? You know you read something deep. You just know that you don't understand. Like, wow, that was deep. So deep, I didn't understand what it meant. You're like, you should have been at church today. The message was deep. What was it about? I really don't know. I just know that it was deep. And that was my journey opening up the book of Ephesians. Because in chapter 1, oh my goodness, I remember as a kid reading this, and there are not going to be verses up there, but I remember it talking about, you know, blessing God and blessing Jesus who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'm like, man, that's deep. But I have no idea the context of what those heavenly blessings mean. Couldn't understand it. And I remember uh, continuing to read, and it says that he made known made know the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. And I'm like, man, that's deep, but I don't know what the mystery is. And then I remember reading that in the dispensation of the fullness of times that he's going to gather together in one all things in Christ Jesus, that which is in heaven and that which is on the earth. And saying, man, that's deep, but I have no idea what that depthness means. Have you ever been there reading the scripture knowing that you're reading something deep but have no idea the profound meaning and the significance. And then it goes on to say that we have, a, a, we have obtained uh, inheritance and that he's working all things out of the counsel of his will. I'm like, man, that's so deep, but I don't understand the counsel of his will. And you know what happens? You have phrases like that in, in, in chapter 1, and then, then you get to chapter 2, man, and it just continues. It goes deep. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in the trespasses of sins, he made us alive together with Christ, and he raised us up together to sit in heavenly places. Like, man, that's deep, but I really don't understand. What does that actually mean? 
And then when you get to chapter 3, it's the same thing. It's just like deep, and then it's like it goes deeper, and then it goes even more deeper. I mean, chapter 3, you have these subtitles that are like the mystery of this and the mystery of that. And you're like, wow, this is all great stuff. And so what would happen to me as a teenager reading this, I would like read chapter 1 over and over again and still not understand it. And so because of not understanding what I was reading, then you know what happened? I won't go on to chapter 2. Or maybe I'll force myself, get into chapter two, and then, man, but that's deep too, and I really don't understand all of that. And so uh, then I'm not making a chapter three. I'm like, man, if this is what chapter one was about, and this is what chapter two is, I can't only imagine three. And there's six chapters of this? No way. No way. That's just too deep. Who has stopped reading the Bible because it was too deep? Knowing that there's some profound mystery in there, knowing that there's something significant in there, knowing that I feel like I'm reading Revelation, I just don't know the Revelation. <laughs> and then right, rather than digging deep, we retreat. And so look, the first three chapters of profound mystery going deep. And you know what? If you look at them, I want you to, why do I want you to do this? Because this is what I'm going to suggest to you. As you study and as you read, in there you're going to see justification. In there, you're going to see sanctification. In there, you're going to see the theology of glorification in those chapters. And so what would chapter 4 be about? That's a good question. What would chapter 5 be about? Great question. How would he end chapter 6 in the closing? Oh, so good. Right? He went, look, chapter 1, he went deep. Chapter 2, he went deeper. Chapter 3, oh my God, he jackhammered down to the next level. And it's just like, if you can understand these truths, if you can understand these revelations, if you can understand these mysteries, oh my God, right? This is just separating you from the rest of the Christian world. Because you're acquiring understanding and you're gaining insight and you're understanding the mysteries of God and you're getting divine wisdom and knowledge. And don't we all want that? Don't we all want to understand the revelations of scripture and the mysteries of his will and, and, and understand the insights of, of, of the word of God, right? And so as you're getting deeper, it's almost like, man, I'm just separating myself from everyone. Because everyone's still stuck in chapter one in verse two. But I'm getting it. I'm understanding it. I'm learning. This is separating me from the pact. This is what tends to happen with humanity when they gain wisdom. What happens when I gain wisdom naturally, and I believe naturally, and also because of the sin nature that is within humanity, pay attention here, that the wiser I get, the more I disconnect from the rest. This is what tends to happen. You start to say, well, you know what? I'm on another level. And because I'm on another level, then I just stepped out of this circle and now I'm in this one, right? I'm business-minded now. I, got, I graduate. I hang out with those that have graduated high school, right? And then you got your, what's the first degree in college? Associate? I got my associates and you guys are still trying to figure out if you're going to college. So my, my circle is made up of those who share in the same wisdom, right? And then, oh, no, you don't want me to get my bachelor's because then I can't talk to you, right? Like, you got to catch up. And so what tends to happen with human nature, and I believe it's because of the, also the sin nature, is that the more we acquire wisdom, the more we disconnect and our circles become smaller and smaller. And then what happens when you feel that you're the smartest person in the room? 
I'm even talking spiritually here. What happens when you feel you understand the word of God and they don't? What happens when you believe you understand the mysteries of scripture and you can quote Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 and you understand all of those things and you know what he meant by the counsel of his will? What happens to us? Now look. I remember reading this and when I did start to understand and I'm like, oh, I'm ahead of the rest now, baby. I'm ahead of the rest. And, and I feel like I'm over here, and I feel like everyone's over there, and it's like, y'all better catch up, or I'm, I'm, I'm off to the races here. Me and God are off to the races, and anyone who, right? Doesn't this tend to happen to us, how we... So can you imagine, do you want to know what happens in chapter 4, 5, and 6? I believe what happens, look, I believe what happens in 4, 5, and 6, the last three chapters... Are, are meant to answer the question, what do I do when I understand chapters 1, 2, and 3? What do I do when I've acquired the mysteries of chapter 1, 2, and 3? I believe chapter 4, 5, and 6 answer that question. And you know what happens in chapters 4, 5, and 6? Oh my goodness. Remember, chapter 1, deep. It starts out deep. Like, oh, you better be ready for Ephesians. Like, just... And then you get a chapter two, it's just like, next level. Then you get a chapter three, holy cow, my man is in it, in his theology. And so what happens at the end of all, what's the purpose of the revelations, the revealed mysteries, the divine wisdom? I believe the answer to that question is not that the believer enters into spiritual isolation or prideful exclusivity from the rest, but I believe that chapters three, four, and uh, chapters four, five, and six do this: that they reveal that the mysteries are intended for the for their intention is to then have. Look at this practical application. The deep spiritual mysteries. What are they for? What are they for? What do I do with it? Are then to have practical application. You go read chapters four, five, and six, it's like you were going like this, doom, doom, going deep, getting smarter, getting wiser, like, holy cow, getting downloaded, revelations of the spirit, I understand. And then you know what it does? It's almost like this. It almost like it takes you deep beneath the surface, and then at the end, Paul in chapter four releases you back to the surface where everyone is at. And now to take all that knowledge, wisdom, and insight and revelation and live it out, not in isolation. The purpose of all the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding of the revelations weren't to separate you. And that's what happens to us. I get smarter, my circle gets smaller. But in scripture, you're supposed to get wiser, understand the mysteries, and your circle actually is supposed to get bigger. And so that you are supposed to take all of that, and now you're supposed to bring that into everyone who is around you. It's not for you to say, I am a spiritual genius, and they are spiritual dummies. It then tells the, you read in the chapters, and it's like, and husbands, this is how you're supposed to love your wives. That's practical. Wait a minute, you mean with unlocking the mysteries? I'm supposed to learn how to love my wife? Yes. 
with all the deep mysteries it says, and parents, you got to learn how to, you know, take care of them kids, and kids, you got to learn how to obey your parents. What? Yeah, yeah, and you got to learn how to have fellowship with those that don't look like you. So he, all the mysteries and all the revelation are to take you deep, to bring you back to the surface, and to teach you how to practically live. But look, through this expression of love. Let me suggest, suggest this to us today too. Knowledge, wisdom, and understanding disconnected from love is dangerous. And so what Paul does is he takes you down into the deep mystery. And he says, but when you come up with the mystery, back to where everyone is at, you need to show up in love. You got to show up in love. And this is why when we're in Ephesians 5, these are more the practical chapters says this in verse 1, therefore be what? Imitators of who? Of God. In the first chapters, he's revealing how our salvation and the justification and the sanctification and the glorification, all of that is in Christ Jesus. But now be imitators of God. Look, as beloved children, look at verse 2, and walk in love. Don't walk in pride. Don't walk in your, you know, in your exclusivity of your wisdom. Don't walk big and bad. Don't walk around smarter than everyone else. Don't walk around like you got it, they don't. Don't, don't walk around, you got the answer, no one else has the answer. Don't walk around like the spiritual wise guy that you are and everyone else is dumb behind you. He says, no, you show up with that wisdom, you show up with those revelations, you show up with all that inside and you show up in love. Like, really? Yes, really. With all that I acquire in the word of God, it wasn't so that I could go and unlock a spiritual dimension and exist there. Nah, because you got those real spiritual people. Like, they're not even on planet Earth no more. Like, they, they, they floated into the service. They were locked in the third dimension of heaven with Paul. They, were, they, they came in on that level. And when they leave, you don't see them. They like vanish. You don't know where they live. They won't say hi to you. They won't have a conversation with you. They don't have the time of day for you. But then when service starts, they float in again. It's like, what planet do you live on? And they're living in the planet of prideful mystery. They're living in the planet of knowledge that comes from God that they have and no one else has. But the purpose of all of that was for us to show up in love. And so it really doesn't matter how deep you think you go. The purpose of, of, of you going deep with God is that God does not want, want to hide you in your spiritual wisdom in a corner. Remember, we write, you have to be a light. And Jesus said, you don't take a light and put it under the table. And I know our minds are illuminating because we're learning the word of God. And I'm learning, I know what justification is and that dummy over there don't. I'm in my sanctification and it's my calling and I know what it is. And he's still lost in the sauce, you know. And I know and they're over there. And 
I know what glorification is. They living in fear. I'm going to be resurrected with God and Christ Jesus, praise the Lord, and all that kind of stuff like that. And then you're, you, know, you're, you're, you put them over there and you stand over there. It's like, no, 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 no. That light is supposed to be on the table for all of the people in the room to draw into the light. And so simply today... As a Christian, our new humanity is that we live a life of love. And if you're an angry Christian, I believe there's a problem. I don't care how smart we are. If you're a hateful, if you're unapproachable. I heard one time someone told me, I'm not going to say who, like, Pastor, you know what would be great? If we bought the church, right? Bought the church. It's like, then we just take over the whole block. I'm like. Okay, that sounds good. Like we could, like no, but then like they take over the whole block, and then we could build a huge fence, and then we could just tell all the families of the church just to move like a whole community, like build a whole community. He's like, we put a school there. We could have our office. I'm like, man, that that sounds pretty good. Like right, and then I re- like, wait a minute, that's putting the light under the table. That's us locking ourselves out. Why? Because of the revelation that we have found in Christ Jesus. Now we're going to build a fence around us so the sinful world doesn't contaminate us. Because I am the righteousness of God, understanding justification, sanctified in my process of becoming perfect, and I'm going on to glorification one day. And because I understand that, let's just build a line and a fence right here to keep all of the informed wise Christians and leave the contaminated world out there. It sounds good, only that that's not what scripture teaches us to do. It sounds like a good plan to protect your children. It sounds like a good plan to, to support other Christian businesses. Like, let's just put Chris, Christian businesses in here only. It really does sound like a good plan. Christian barbershop, Christian school, Christian store, Christian cakes, Christian everything, right? Like we only serve Christians. That sounds good and supportive. The only problem with that is that's not what Jesus lived out. It's not. As a matter of fact, our foundation verse as Christians is John 3, 16. And we're going to put it up because we all know it, but let's see if they get something else out of it today. John 3, 16, and let's read all the way to 19. Let's not stop short. I believe verses 17, 18, and 19 live in the shadow of John 3, 16. But let's just read it. But look what it says. For God so loved the world. And now we also know this through all New Testament teaching that all the mysteries and all the revelations were hidden in Christ Jesus. And that at Christ Jesus, the coming and resurrection, he unlocked the mysteries. He he unlocked the mysteries. They were all in Christ, and then he unlocked them. The hidden mysteries of the Old Testament were hidden in Christ Jesus, and then all of a sudden, he unlocked them for us, praise the Lord, and we got salvation through Christ Jesus. So if they're unlocked in Christ Jesus, what, what did... So that means this, look. If they're all hidden in Christ Jesus... All wisdom's in Christ Jesus. My salvation is in Jesus. My sanctification's in Jesus. My glorification is in Jesus. All wisdom, all knowledge, all insight is in Jesus. Then what did Jesus do with all of that? The the, the Bible doesn't say that all of this hidden in Christ Jesus pushed him away from the earth. As a matter of fact, it says the opposite. It actually drew him to the earth. 
So what, is, what are we supposed to do with all the insight that we receive? It's not supposed to draw us away from people. It's supposed to draw us to people. It's not supposed to draw us to create fences and little Christian communities and just Christian groups and just Christian friends. I would believe that that might be harmful if you don't understand this truth. It says it's for God so loved the world. And we know that that world is lost spiritually dumb, we're saying without unfeathering them, right? Lost, they don't understand the mysteries, they haven't unlocked that which is hidden in Christ Jesus, and they're lost in what? In their sin. They're also dead in the trespasses of their sin, and they're also condemned on their way to hell, eternity away from God, and eternal wrath, punishment, and fire, as the Bible would say. So look, in all of God's wisdom, he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God takes Jesus in all his wisdom and he gives it to the world who is lost. He doesn't take his son and say, we're going to put you on a different planet with other Christian schools and good, righteous, perfected saints who love you. No, he sends his son in all his wisdom and all the mystery who's hidden in him, and he sends it to the lost world. What a picture. And this is why whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And look at verse 17. Most of us in our wisdom condemn others. Let's be honest. Most of us in our understanding and our knowledge we degrade others. But look what Jesus did in his wisdom. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So God in his wisdom doesn't condemn the world. God in his wisdom through Christ Jesus is out to save the world. So what, look, if I start to acquire revelation and insight and then it brings me into a place of condemning, I'm already disconnected from the character and the heart of the scriptures. Because Christ in his wisdom was drawn to the world to save the world. He was not coming to the world to condemn the world. And for everyone saying, no, 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 he came to condemn. No, 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 no. That's, that's not, you're not fighting with me now. You're fighting with the passage that says God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. No, 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 but God in the last day, he's condemning all of those people. Well, let's just see how this plays out, okay? Yes, God is going to judge the world, and he's going to look. God is going to judge, and he's going to sentence everyone according to their own choosing. Look at this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. So the person who believes will not be condemned. The person who does not believe is already condemned. It says, and this is the condemnation. So what's the condemnation? That the light has come into the world, meaning who? Jesus. And men, men and women, humanity, look, we loved darkness rather than the light. We loved darkness rather than the light, but God sent his light into the world. And so what does that mean? That some chose the light and others rejected the light. Some chose the light, others rejected it because their deeds were evil. But God in all his wisdom, he came from the heavens in great mystery, in great 
everything, right? And when he got to the surface, he became a light. As we go deeper, and you get your Ephesians 1 on, and your Ephesians 2 status, right? And you're in Ephesians 3. The deeper you go is to be like Jesus, who then showed up to the surface as light. That is foundation of our Christian faith, and that's foundation of our Christian life. We have to show up as light, and really to show up as light is to show up in love. For God so loved the world, rest of the verses, we put that together. For God so loved the world that he showed up as light. Not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Not to condemn it, but to save it. So if I'm showing up, all right, Ephesians 5 said, be imitators of who? Be imitators of who? God. Be imitators of God. So that means I need to show up as the light, and to show up as the light, I need to show up in Love, 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 not exclusivity of who I am, not an exclusivity of I'm a Christian and I got it and you don't, not an exclusivity of I'm saved and you're not. Regardless, you need to show up as the light. And people will choose what they're going to choose, and God knows what people's going to choose, but it does not take your responsibility away from you showing up as the light. You don't get to say they're always going to be that way. Uncle Joe been crazy and lost for 45 years. There's no message that's going to change him. No, your responsibility to Uncle Joe is to show up as light and in love. You don't get to dictate that Joe doesn't get to be saved. You don't get to dictate that Joe is no longer worthy of the light. You need to be an imitator of God, and you need to show up as light to Joe. Help us save Joe. <laughs> and so when it says that for God so loved the world, the love there is not equating to how I love pizza. This love of God, this word, and the agape love, is not love as an affection. It was like that's how God felt about the earth. And in our world, this love is all about a feeling, an emotion, what we like, what we don't like, preference. I like pizza. I like hockey. I love my wife. Very like it's all about affection and our preference and how we feel about something. You know, I feel good about this. Don't feel good about that. I love this. I don't. But when you're talking about this love, it's not just, it's not love and affection for God so loved the world that he was just affectionate. No, this is love in action. And, and more than just action, it's love in covenant action. It's that God created humanity. And he loves humanity so much that his pursuit as God is to redeem and save humanity. And God has done everything within his wisdom, within his mystery, within his revelation, within his power. He's done everything possible to save man. So when man is rejecting Jesus, he's rejecting God's full effort to save him. And so when a man does go to hell or is sentenced to hell in the end, it's not that God sent that man to hell just to send him to hell. It's because man chose against God. They loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. And so God is just going to, he's just going to give everyone what they chose. In the end, God is going to give everyone what they chose. 
He presented himself as light for the world to receive or to reject. The Bible says he came unto his own and his own received him not. Referring to the Jewish people, the covenant Jewish people. So Ephesians 5, 1 to 2, therefore be imitators of who? Of God as beloved children and look and walk in love. This is what you're called to do. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how much knowledge we get. And I have to tell myself, it doesn't matter how much. And, and, and I know we want to come to church and just get lost in the presence of God. Can I just get lost today? I know that's what you were praying. I just want to be lost with God. Like, I just want to be not here. And that it sounds good. It sounds really good. My worship is unto God, and it is only unto him. But don't get so lost. Don't get too lost that you forget to love your brother and your sister. When Jesus was confronted, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord God with everything you have, and then love your neighbor also as you love yourself. So yes, you can get lost with God as long as you're getting lost with your neighbor. As long as you're trying to bring your neighbor where you are lost in God at. But the church of God is not meant to get lost or to be hidden. It's not to get, become exclusive and it's not to feel better than. All that we receive from God should make us be an imitator of God. And God in his wisdom and all his love saw the lost and was drawn to the lost. And so this is why there is a commission for the church. There's a problem if our churches just get bigger with more church people and we forget about the lost brother and sister that is in the world. Okay? And so love is not just a feeling, but it's an action. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God dem demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were, we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Look at the words, demonstrates and died. It didn't just say God loves you, so he just felt some type of way about you. Just feel a type of way. I really like them, but yeah, they're a little messed up, and good luck to them. I love them, but good luck to them. I'm going to do me. Hopefully, they do themselves right, and we're together one day. No, God, in his love, demonstrated his own love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. He died while you were a sinner. He's not like... Oh, I'm, I'm going to die for that one. He's not like, oh, that one, that one. Oh, okay, I'm going to die for that one. Oh, he's going to believe one day I'm going to die for that brother right there because I already purposed in my will he's going to be with me. I'm going to die for No, he died while we were sinners. Christ died. He was not waiting for you to get better. He died while you were dead. Christ died while you were dead in the trespasses of your sins. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This is power about sanctification right here. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith who? In the Son of God, who loved me, right? There's that word love again, and gave himself for me. Look, that's, see, I love pizza, but I'm not going to give myself for pizza. I love hockey, but I'm not going to die for hockey, Right? Christ loved us, not just in affection, but in action that he gave himself for me. That's a different kind of love. And I want to tell you this, God has always been loving. The nature and the character of God has always been loving. And you know what a lot of us do? I like the New Testament God better than the Old Testament one. Like they're two different gods. Like I'm the Jesus type, you be the Yahweh type. 
I like Jesus. That Yahweh dude was a little on the edge. He really seemed ready to just, you know, zap. Like that Yahweh guy was just like opening the ground and swallowing people. I like the, the, I like the New Testament Jesus, like the one that calls me a holy nation, a, a, a treasure, like the royal priesthood type. That's, I like that one. I don't like the swallow me up kind of one. Right? We like, we like the Jesus that 1 Peter 2, 9, 10, the one that calls me... Remember when Peter said, but this is in 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen generation. I like that, Jesus. I like that God, the one that calls me chosen. Look, a royal priesthood, yes. That's the Jesus that I like. A holy nation. Oh, just justification on that one right there. Look, his own special people. I like Jesus because in Jesus I feel special. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you, look, out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And we're talking about like, look, that's just a perfect verse, how I snuck it in there, right? Look, who were once not a people, right? I was dead in the trespasses of my sins, but now are the people of God and now I'm a child of God who, look, obtained mercy, but now, uh, who, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. I like that kind of New Testament Jesus. I like what Peter wrote, as if Yahweh, God of the Hebrew scriptures, is any different. You know where Peter got that? He's practically quoting Exodus 19, verses 3 to 6. He, he, what Peter is saying to the New Testament church about the loving Jesus who called you holy and you're a special people and took you out of darkness and into his marvelous light and your royal priesthood, he's only quoting what God said about himself to Moses. Exodus 19, verses 3 to 6. Now tell me if Peter was not borrowing and just re-quoting the nature of Yahweh. Look at this. Exodus 19, verses 3 to 6. And Moses went up to God. Oh, you know what? Exodus 34. No, Exodus 19, verse 3 to 4. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying... This is Exodus chapter 19. You know what happens in Exodus chapter 20? The Ten Commandments, right? You can always remember that. This is how I always remember that. There's Ten Commandments plus 10 is 20. Exodus 20. That's how I always remember where the Ten Commandments are. That's how my mind works. I just can't remember Exodus 20. I have to remember something else. Makes sense, right? 10 minus 10, right? Got it. All right. So Moses went up to God and the Lord called him from the mountain saying, look, look, thus, listen, thus, Shall you say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, look at this, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to where? Myself. Ten commandments in Exodus 20, but they're being laid on this foundation of Exodus chapter 19. Because most of us say, no, the Jesus guy is the one that calls me chosen and a royal priesthood and special. The, one, the, the Yahweh of the Old Testament is the one that got rules, commandments, and laws. But look, those laws, rules, and commandments that are in Exodus 20 are actually standing on a foundation of Exodus chapter 19, which is this, that God delivered them, the nation, and he carried them out on eagles' wings and brought them to what? Himself. So this is showing a God that brings those that are imprisoned to where? 
to himself. This is demonstration of love. This is, this is love, not, word and, not love and sentiment, not lo- love and just affection. It's love and action. I delivered you out on eagle's wings, Israel, Yahweh, and I brought you to myself. Look what it goes on to say. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then look, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all the people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be, look, a kingdom of priests and look, a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So for us saying, no, I like the Jesus who calls me holy and a special. It's the same Yahweh who called them kingdom of priests and holy as well. And it says, and right, Peter said, he brought me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Yahweh told Israel, I have brought you out of Egypt and I brought you to myself. I took you out of darkness of Egypt and I brought you to the light unto myself. So don't think that when the New Testament started and when Jesus came, God then became loving. He always, always was out to deliver man from darkness and bring him into light. Creation was always called to God a holy nation, a special treasure. And so it's on this foundation that your chosen people, that I brought you onto myself in love. I took you out of darkness in Egypt and brought you to myself. It's on this foundation that the rest of the law hangs on. So he's not just a God of just rules for the sake of rules. The rules are born out of his love. And so even in the New Testament, all that we have in Christ and all that he calls us to obey are on the foundation of the love of God. And so us as Christians, we can't be Christians if we take out the love. doesn't work. It is counter the character of God. Where are we at now? All right. How many people remember Exodus 33 where the nation of Israel, right? So he delivers the nation of Israel. Yahweh has them. He gives them 10 commandments to to Moses. And then in Exodus 33, they break the the first one. They got a golden calf built and people are worshiping Yahweh in this image of a golden calf. And it's just a mess. Moses is infuriated, he, right? he's like, man, God's ready to just annihilate these people. And Moses says, no, what would the nation say if you do this? You just delivered them, and now you're going to kill them. But in, in Exodus 34, remember Moses, then, he got so angry, he broke the commandments, and then Moses has to go back up into the mountain, and they got to inscribe the, 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 the tablets again, and then Moses got to bring those down to the people. Look at Exodus 34, verses 4 to 7. I just want to show you that God has always been a God of love. Verse 4 of Exodus 34, so Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first because he broke the other ones, and he rose up early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him. And look, and he took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Look at this, verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, look, the Lord, the Lord, a God, look, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. 
and faithfulness. Verse 7, keeping steadfast love for a thousands, or meaning a thousand generations, forgiving the iniquity and the transgression and sin, but by, by who will but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Most of us get stuck on that last part and say, man, that's not kind of nice. He's going to visit the iniquity of the parents to the third and fourth generation. That's not nice. Don't forget, he just said that he has mercy and, and, and he's merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for what? For thousands of generations, okay? So don't get caught up in the threes and the fours if you compare that to a thousands generation of where he has steadfast love and mercy, okay? Yes. It's just saying that God is a God of justice as well. He's not going to leave the guilty unpunished. But it doesn't mean that he does not have steadfast love, steadfast love for a thousand generations. And God's steadfast love for a thousand generations is, is proven that Christ was meant to be a savior for all. Yahweh said he'll have steadfast love for thousands of generations. And so when Christ comes as a light to save the world, he didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save it. It's, it's the proof of God's love from generation to generation. And Ephesians, right? This is what's so awesome. Ephesians is not written to Jewish people who were in covenant with God, who then, you know, took on Jesus. The Ephesian church were Gentiles. So this means they were like on the outside. And what does it mean to be a Jew? It means someone who was in covenant with God through the nation of Israel, right? That's your, that's your generation there. But then you had the Gentiles who were considered just the outside. Anyone non-Jew was considered a Gentile, okay? So if you were a Jew, great. You're part of the covenant promise that was given to Abraham. But in your Christian faith, you have to come to faith in Jesus. But a Gentile was someone who was just non-Jewish, right? And then so there were non-Jews who converted to Christianity, converted to the faith. And so when Ephesians, when Paul is writing Ephesians, he's writing it to these Gentiles. He's writing to them. And, and, and I want to read Ephesians 2, starting at verse 11. And look what he says. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth. All right? So we know that the, 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 the listeners were not part of the Jewish covenant through Abraham and Moses. Okay? He says, therefore, remember formerly you who were Gentiles, look, by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Look at this. Verse 12. Remember that a time you were, look, separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Meaning that as a Gentile, that was you. You were considered separated from God and separated without hope. You're not part of the covenant promise. That's who you were before. But look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have brought have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So someone who was far has been brought in by what? By the blood of Christ. And we know that this is on a foundation of the love of God to a thousand generations. 
So God is fulfilling his promise and his word spoken to Moses and the nation through Christ Jesus, who, who his blood was so, per, was so powerful that it wasn't just limited to the Jewish people. He's saying, you Gentiles who were excluded. You got, yeah, you got the people, the Jewish people who saying, we're the circumcision, you're of the uncircumcision. And they made that exclusivity about themselves and they alienated themselves and they made their communities over here. And you Gentiles stay over there. What Paul, what, what Paul is saying here is that, by the blood, you Gentiles have been brought in, and now you're part of the club too. Gentiles. They were, they were the lost world of that time. And so as Christians, we can't do this that when we become a Christian, we say we're in there and the world's out there. Good luck to them. Because we technically are Gentiles. And it's the blood of Jesus that unless you're Jewish and you were part of the covenant promise of Abraham, maybe you got that in your bloodline. Go and get your, what is that called? Yeah, get, go to ancestry.com and check that. Do what you got to do. But if it doesn't work out that you were Jewish, then you, you would be considered a Gentile. And God didn't come and just say, oops, you're not of the circumcision. You're lost. No. Christ Jesus, by his blood, brought you, I, and the rest of those Gentiles. He brought them in. Why? Because of his great love. Look at verse 14. For he himself is our peace. Look, who has made the two groups. What two groups he's referring to? Gentiles and Jews. One. Oh, my God. He who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier. He kicked down on the fence. He kicked down the fence and says, hey, let's build the community of Christians over here and let's keep the world, the sinful world out over there. It says that in Christ, Christ kicks down that fence. So what I want us to do as Christians is every time the enemy wants you to start laying bricks to the fence and you start saying, well, I'm a Christian and they're from the world. I don't want no part with them. I don't want to. And I know what I, but pastor, doesn't the Bible say that we're in the world, not of the world? It's not in context of you excluding the people that you live with in the world. That's not what that means. It doesn't mean that because I'm not part of this world and then, you know, I float around here and, and I become self-righteous and spiritual over here and we just let the world blow itself up. That's not what, that's not what that implication of that verse is. It says, for he is our peace who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall look of hostility. But setting aside in the flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. One new humanity out of the two. One new humanity out of the two. Our Christian series is a new humanity in Christ Jesus. And so when we look at our world and say we got the saved and the unsaved, you need to know that God's desire is to make a one humanity out of the two. He needs those that are in the light to get out into the darkness to bring those that are in the darkness into the light. And that's how he starts to bring unification between the two. It's Christ who kicks down the wall and the barrier of separation. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, with Christ Jesus as 
Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises up to become the holy temple in the Lord. In him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So in context, what he's saying is Jew who believes in Christ Jesus as the Messiah and Gentile who didn't even know about a Messiah but now believes in Christ Jesus, he's saying those two are being built together. That is the context of those scriptures. He's talking about two people who were hostile, Jew and Gentile. The Jews feeling that they were part of the covenant and the rest of the world was not and you're on the outside and we have the covenant promises of Yahweh and we're God's chosen people and you're not. No, what he's saying, that what Paul is saying, Christ has kicked down the door, dividing, saying that only the Jews are chosen and the rest of the world are not. And so as a Christian, you can't live your life like this. When you meet people at your job and this, the crazy boss just say, she ain't chosen, I am. I don't, want to have, I don't want to have any part with her and her attitude. I'm the chosen one. She is not. You can't look at your neighbor and be like, I got the Holy Spirit. I know he got a demon. <laughs> you know what? I'm smart. I got my education. They didn't. So, or because of your color? Because of your race, because you're a man and she, they're a woman. Those are the dividing walls that exist today. And Christ says, no, he, he's going to kick. The goal of Christ is to break down those barrier walls and, and, and bring unification. And it's not just settling for peace just for the sake of peace. It says Jesus Christ is our peace. So, so, so the thing that's at the foundation is not, is not, it's just not, it's not empty love. It's not just for the sake of love. Like, you know what? We all should just get along, so let's just get along. We'll just be unified. You and your, you and your, you know, you and your hot mess and me and my hot mess and just, we're just going to slap love on it and call it love. No, 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 no. That's not what scripture is saying. It's saying that Christ is our peace and the foundation of love is God. And so it's, he, is, he is the love. He is the standard. And so what brings us into unity is that we both come under subjection of him. So it's not just people making peace on their own. It's making peace in God. That God is telling us what is right and what is wrong. It's not that you take your wrong and I take my wrong and say, you know what? God called us to live in peace. So you live in your wrong. I live in my wrong. And we don't say nothing about each other's wrong. We have peace. No, no. It's saying that you take your wrong. I take my wrong. And I allow God to say that I'm wrong. And we take on what is right in him. And when we both do that, then we have peace. So church, don't get it twisted. I'm not saying that to be in love with the world is just to take their wrong and bring it into the church. And we're not going to say anything and just say, hey, we're just trying to be peaceful and loving because that's what God called us. That's not what I'm saying. Christ is the peace and Jesus is described as love. And it's what he says that makes the standard of our agreement. He is him, his being, the mystery, the wonder of who he is. That is the, that is the ground that we stand on. So we're stepping into peace, not when we come to agreement with one another. We step into peace when we come into covenant with God. And when I make covenant with God and you make covenant with God, and when I say I'm a sinner and I need God, and you say that you're a sinner and you need God, and when we say that God tells us what righteousness is and I don't get to make that up, you don't get to make that up, when we come under that, that's how we come into peace. So we can't have this false 
peace. Unity for the sake of unity. And I tolerate your evil and you tolerate mine. And then we call ourselves loving. That is a disregard. That is, that is an offense. That is shallow love. When I just accept you as you are and you accept me as I am and I accept your immorality and you accept my immorality and then we say, oh, we just have Jesus so we, we settled and we made peace about that. That is false peace. That is false reconciliation. Real reconciliation is that we all have been redeemed and justified in our sanctification onto glorification in Christ Jesus. So the minute you take God out of it and you try to make covenant with the world on your own terms, that's not, that's not what love really is. Because the foundation of love is in Christ Jesus. 1 John 4, 7 through 12 and I'm going to be ending, dear friends, let us love one another, right? Okay, great, great. We got to love, we got to love, we got to love. But look, for love comes from where? From God. So we're going to love one another, but we're going to do it with a love that's not from human love. It's not from, from my effort to your effort. It's not for what's right in your mind and what's right in my mind. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God, but we're going to do it from a love that is coming from God. We're letting God identify what love is, not the world. We're not letting society tell us what's loving. Are you crazy? Are you crazy to let your government tell you what love is? What are you smoking these days if, you're, if we're, letting the, we're letting the world and the government tell us what love is? God is love, and love is going to be defined by his character and by his will and, and by his purposes, and that's only going to be found in his word. I don't get to make up what love is. Neither does the world. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God, look, is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. So our lives are being lived through who? Through him. My lives are not, I'm not living my life by how I think I should live my life. And then I call that love to the rest of the world. Because all of us have a different standard then. All of us will have a different picture of what love is. And that's the chaos in our world. One saying this is love. The other one saying, no, that's not love. And the other one saying, no, this is love. And they're all doing that with taking God out of it and then trying to define love. It's a mess. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And so how is the world going to see the love of God? They're going to see it through us, but the only way they're going to see it through us is if our love is being defined by God, not self. And so I don't get to love you how I want to love you. I have to, as a Christian, love you by how God defines love. And God's love is defined by his character and his word. I wonder if this is why Ephesians 5 said, and learn what is pleasing to God. Learn what is pleasing to God. It's because we all wanna say we're Christian and we all wanna say that we're loving. You know what, not even because you're Christian you wanna say you're loving. The world wants to be seen as loving. 
The world doesn't want to say we want to be known as hate. Now the world is saying, don't hate love. That's what the world is saying. That's what, that's what the world is saying. Don't hate love. And the minute you, we, we, the church says anything about immorality and, and, uh, you know, and, and, and sin, then you know what the world says? You're not loving. Because they want us to, for our love to be defined by their, they don't even know what love is. You could take the church out the world and the world will kill themselves over what love is. But because they got the church here, then they get to blame the church for saying, no, you guys are the unloving one. But if you took the church out the world, the world will kill themselves over what love is. <laughs> and so I can't let the world tell me what love is. Even if we love them or we loved you, According to your standard of love, it will be a disservice to you. Or it will be a disservice to someone else. Because someone might have a higher love standard than you do for the rest of the world. So the, 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 true, the, the, the true source of, of, of where love is is only found in Christ Jesus. And, and Christ Jesus didn't just die for everyone to be happy. You got to know that. He died to save and redeem a world that was lost in their sin. And in his love, he gave up his life. And the Bible says that he became sin for us. And he paid for all of that. And so all of us have some level, some amount of sin. We all came into our salvation with some kind of sin. Different levels, different degrees. And so I don't want you to forget that that's how, you, how we came through the door. Because once you get kind of good at this, and you start feeling like, you know, I'm doing right with God, and I feel I'm loving. Not everyone feels that they're terrible. Not everyone's losing in their Christian faith. There are people that feel secure in their Christian faith. They know that they're not perfect. They're not self-righteous. They're not prideful. But they know they're progressing. They know that, they're, that, that day by day they're getting better. They're choosing God's wisdom against their own. They're crucifying the flesh. They know that last week... You know, they said something nasty. This week they were in the same situation, but they didn't say something nasty. They, they're in their sanctification. Not everyone is in a losing battle in their Christian faith or in their Christian walk. Some people are progressing, going higher, and that's good. But don't ever in there, in your progression, forget how you came in. And the reason why you don't want to forget how you came in is because that allows you to have mercy for those that are on the outside that are yet to step in. And this is why it's so important to understand that I'm not praising God for a house. I'm praising God because I was dead in the trespasses of my sin. And then I got to know that anyone who has not come into the light is dead in the trespasses of their sin. And they're not going to get to heaven because they're loving people. Because we already know how the love of the world works. The only way we have eternal life, resurrection, Eternity with God is when we're in Christ. And so if we really love the world like we say we love the world, be imitators of God. And then God gave his life for the lost world. And so for me to say I love God, but then I hate my brother. For me to say I love God, but I hate the world. You will be challenged as you really go into scripture with that kind of understanding again 
the greatest commandment. It was Matthew 22, verse 36, 40. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to read this and we'll close. I love that God, through his word, didn't leave love abstract for you to just guess what that is. He didn't leave it for you to make up. He didn't leave it to an emotion. He didn't leave it to your ideals of love. In scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he says, If I speak in tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I don't care what tongues you think you have, <laughs> is what Paul's saying. He says, if, if, if you don't have love, it doesn't mean that tongues aren't important, but if you don't have love, then you know what? In the end, they're not anything. He says, look, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom, look, if you can understand Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. It says, fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And so what do you do with all of that spiritual insight and wisdom and revelation and knowledge? Paul's saying if you have all of that and that leads you into a, a, a place of exclusivity, if that leads you into isolation because of your own, because of the wisdom you acquired, if you don't have love, then you don't have anything. Because if you really have love, all of that, real love is going to take all of that and then put it back on those that are lost. This is who we need to be, church. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I, gave no, I gain nothing. What is love? What is love then? The word of God defines what a love is. Love is patient. Oh, let's just stop there. Love is patient. Let's not just read it to recite it because we know how to read it and recite it, but let's just pause. All of us who say we're loving, how many now would say you're really patient? How many of us are really patient? You see, this is the problem when love is abstract for us. We say we have love, but some of us know we're the most impatient people on the world. That would be a contradiction of our proclamation and declaral that we are love. Not if you're impatient. That's what the scripture says, no. It says love is kind. Well, that's just not my type. Daniel Machuca is kind. He's friendly. He's the friendly guy. He talks to everybody. That's not me. Well, if we declare and make declarations that we are loving and we have love, but then we say, no, I'm not the kind type. They are the kind type. That will be a contradiction to our declaration and statement that we are loving. It does not envy. Oh, my goodness. If we could only look into our hearts and really see if anyone's envious of a brother or sister. Some of the hugs with our brother and sister saying, I love you, deep down you're envious of the person that you're saying you love. God will be in heaven and be like, uh-uh-uh. That's not how, love is not envious. Look, it does not boast. Oh my goodness. All of us, I'm loving, I'm so humble. False humility. Any proud people in here? Now, none of us are going to raise our hands to any of these things. I'm not raising my hand to any of these things right now. But <laughs> look at how God is defining love. 
The reason why I want us to pause and think, because I don't want us to walk out here and say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm loving, impatient, not kind, envious, and boastful. It is not proud. Look, it does not, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not light in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This is what God's love is. We don't get to make up what love is. I smiled at her. It was love. I greeted them. It was love. I called them. It was love. Was it really? Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, even that, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So to say that I'm a Christian, to say I have a new humanity, yes, I got to understand the mysteries, I got to understand the revelation. Hey, man, some of us might even prophesy. Some of us might have visions. Some of us might have deep revelations. Some of you might even speak in tongues. Some of you might be able to interpret those tongues. Some of you might have faith to move mountains, and you'll pray for someone, they'll get healed. But even in all of that, with all of that great, amazing power and demonstration of God's mystery, if it brings us to isolation and spiritual, got it together, then what is it really for? It's nothing. Imagine getting so spiritual from God's word and from experiences with God in your prayer room, and all it does is draw you away from the world and be like, oh, they're filthy. Oh, they don't know, and I know. That's not the love of God. God and who, Jesus, who is the fulfillment of such mystery, didn't go to another planet and live in the bliss of eternity over there, but he came to a corrupt, lost, broken, sinful world. And in his love and in all his mystery and in all his knowledge, he gave himself. And so God in his nature is living his life, his existence that has no beginning and no end with love as a foundation. And so Ephesians said, be imitators of God. Sons, daughters, children, be imitators of God. And I believe that is God's word for us. Doesn't matter what happens in the future from now, building, no building, you know, new people, old people, some go love as a foundation. And that's not just here for our church, that's for your life as a Christian. We want to preach to the world and preach to the nations, evangelize to our streets. Do it from a place of love.
For Jesus did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but through him, the world will be saved. If you say God is calling you to the world, oh, don't you have the audacity to go out into the world to condemn them in Jesus' name. What a disservice to the mission and to the name of God. You went out into the world to put up a Jesus sign and then condemn them. God didn't even put his son in the world with a sign of condemnation. The condem their condemnation will be that they love darkness more than they love the light and love of God. That's their condemnation. And in the end, God will just give everyone what they chose. You choose Jesus, he gives you himself for all eternity. You reject him, he gives you the darkness that you chose in this world. It's just eternal darkness. Isolated from him. You didn't want him in this lifetime, you don't have to have him in the other. You want to inflict evil on others, you'll have evil in the end. You like pain and violence and injustice, you'll get pain, violence, and injustice for all eternity. So, church, love as a way of life. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord God, for we were able to worship you today. We're able to lift up songs of praise and worship, Father, and what a joy it is to do that with our brothers and sisters, Father. Such a joy, Father, to come into what we call your temple, your sanctuary. It is a joy. Because we're Christians, it is something that we love, the fellowship and the harmony and the unity with our brothers and sisters, Lord. And Father, you know why we come? We come to worship you. And we come to be filled by you. We come to understand you and to open up your scriptures. And, and, and we come to open up your scriptures and look at the mysteries and, and, and draw in and lean in and, and seek your, your spirit for revelation of your, of, 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 your, of your word, Father. We need that, Father. But, Father, we thank you. We know that for all of that, Lord, all of that, all of what we seek you for, all the knowledge, all the wisdom, Lord, all the understanding, all of it, Lord God, as we go deep in it, is for you to bring us back to the surface of our everyday lives and all the spiritual insight is to have practical, practical, practical application now, Lord. All of it is for me to learn how to really love my wife and to love my children. All of the wisdom and the knowledge is for me to learn how to love my neighbor as myself. All of the insights, Father, and the deep truths of your word are for me to be a light and to be a light and love to the lost world. For Father, you want to bring down the dividing wall, the barrier between us and the world, Lord. But Father, you are the standard, you are the peace, and you are the love. It is not us, Father. So help us as individuals and as your body, Lord, come under, submit ourselves, Lord, our minds and our hearts and our actions, Lord, our character. All of us, let us submit it unto you. And whatever we do, whether in word or in deed, let us do it unto you, Lord. So whether we're in a church service together, let it be unto you. Whether we're in a home gathering with our friends, let it be unto you, Lord. Let us just spending time with people, let it be unto you. But also, Lord, if we're just in our community, in our workplaces, in our jobs, in our schools, let us know that that time is also unto you. And there are moments to shine, God. Help us to see the moments that you're giving and the, the opportunities that you're creating for us to be the light. Help us not to miss those moments. Let us know that we're called to walk in love, Lord. And so love must be a way of life for us. Help us to rid ourselves 
of impatience, envy, Lord, anger, all, Father, all of these things that are of the flesh, Lord, jealousies and rage, Father, foolish talk, Lord, idle talk, Lord, all of it, help us to rid ourselves of that. Sanctify us, Lord, and help us in our journey as we pursue you, Lord. So, Father, we thank you. I pray there's someone in here that does not know you or who, maybe someone who's watching, Lord, or who will watch. Father, let them see your love, that you're not here first to condemn them, Lord, but you're here to save them, to save them from their sin, and that we can come to you by simply confessing our sin and then turning our lives over to you, surrendering all of us onto you so that we can be transformed and be renewed in our minds, Father. And that, Father, in you we have a new creation. The old man is dead. All things have, are old and have passed, and behold, all things become new, Lord. So help us, Lord. And for even the Christian, Father, that's in here, even me in the areas of my life where I feel I got it together and I've been serving you for all these years, if, if there's a group of us in here who just feel like, man, I know it and I know what God wants and I know what God's word says, help us to continually live to find out what is pleasing to you as your word says. Help that to be real to us, not out of religious obligation and religious routine. No, Father, help us to walk in love in pursuit of what pleases you, being a light and a love to this world. And so, Father, we just are so grateful and we celebrate anyone who by this word will put their trust in you and surrender themselves over to you and make you the Lord and Savior of their life by the confession of their sin, Lord. Father, we just thank you, Lord. Help us as a church to continue to move forward in faith and believe, Lord, in full confidence that you are for us and not against us. Let your love and your definition of love be our standard, not ourselves. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Just give the Lord a round of applause. Thank you so much for your time. God bless you guys. We love you.